Hello everyone and welcome back to the 16mm Film Crew. I'm Cindy. And I'm Dale. You can watch us on YouTube. You can like and comment on our YouTube videos and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can support us on Anchor. You can listen to us everywhere podcasts are found at 16mm Film Crew Podcast. Leave us a rate and review. And visit us on our website at www.16millimeterfilmcrew.com. So this week we watched The Creator. Here is your synopsis. As a future war between the human race and artificial intelligence rages on, an ex-Special Forces agent, Joshua, is recruited to hunt down and kill the creator, the elusive architect of advanced AI. The creator has developed a mysterious weapon that has the power to end the war and all of mankind. As Joshua and his team of elite operatives venture into enemy-occupied territory, they soon discover the world-ending weapon is actually an AI in the form of a young child. So this movie stars John David Washington, Gemma Chan, Ken Watanabe, Allison Janney, and Madeline Voiles, and it's directed by Gareth Edwards. So, Dale, thoughts? Um, this movie f- left me feeling like I'm amazed. Like it's visually stunning, and it's clear based on you know Gareth. Edward, Gareth Richard Edwards, yeah, it's almost Richard. Gareth Edwards, his influences being, you know, Lucas and Tarantino and um Spielberg, and even himself cited, you know, he, for this movie, he um used references from, like, Apocalypse Now, Baraka, um, which one of my favorite movies, like, Rain Man, those kind of sci-fi-ish movies, but um where those movies had depth and substance, this movie's kind of really lacking to me. Um, visually, like, his sense of scope and scale, like he had in Rogue One or Godzilla, amazing. But story-wise, it felt, like, lacking. Like, I left this movie asking the question of, what are you trying to tell me, Garrett Edwards? Because this movie comes out at the height of Hollywood's wrestle, and society's wrestle with AI, of the give and take, the balance of it. And then, this movie also kind of represents, references the american imperialism the american war on drugs the war on terror that kind of thing you have the american military acting in sovereign nations without any kind of weird geopolitical backlash you know that kind of thing like there's like i'm what what are you trying to tell me like like they're like what's the message you're trying to communicate and that part of the movies like doesn't have an answer and that's like the big part of movies like there's a thing like uh, you know with um Tenant people complain about Tenant like Tenant is actually one of those movies that isn't about about nothing it's just about enjoying the movie but a movie like this going into it and based on the the geopolitical and social influences this movie has it has to be about something and a director has to tell me something but Gareth is not telling me anything at all and I felt like what the fuck am I watching what am I wasting like almost two hours for if I don't have a clear concise message. On anything. Yeah, that's that's the summary of how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> Took the words right out of my mouth. No, um, I will say, like, yeah, I totally agree with you. Like, I thought the cinematography was beautiful. It's Greg Frazier who did Dune and like a whole bunch of other. I think he did Rogue One too. Like, yeah, great cinematographer. So the cinematography looked great. I thought the performances were fine. John David Washington, I don't know. This wasn't my favorite performance of his, but he did commit to the bit, so I'll give him that. 
this is definitely my favorite Gemma Chan performance. I don't think I've seen her like, and she was like barely in it, but and that's, that's one of the problems <laughs> like, I have with the movie as well. I, I don't know. I've seen her in a lot of other things. Haven't, I haven't connected with her as an actress yet. So she gave me a little something this time and I was like, okay, I'll take it. The child actor Madeline did a good job. I, I don't know. I was watching someone review Room and honestly, the performance that Jacob Tremblay gave in Room, like, I don't think I've ever seen a child performance that good in my life. So everything kind of after that doesn't really compare to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is like the pinnacle of child acting. But she, you know, she gave, she gave something. So I was like, okay, cool. I thought the action sequences were fine. Like, they were pretty decent. Um, but in terms of the story, Yes, the story was completely lacking. I remember thinking, like, I don't know if this was rude or not, but I was in the theater being like, it sounds like an AI wrote this dialogue. Like, yeah. it sounds like it sounds like someone inputted a whole bunch of scripts, like sci-fi scripts, to an AI, fed it that, and that this is what we kind of got out of it. Like, it hits all the points, but there is no depth. <laughs> There's no life in this. It's a story that you've seen a billion times and you've seen it better like you've seen this entire this story done better like even if you would just watch something from this year like the last of us the father daughter thing a million times better than this like it's just it was not giving like it really was really lacking and again it's like what is the real message here like i understand the whole thing of like well you know we really have to take care and care about people from other places. You know, there were some things in there about, like you said, American imperialism. There was stuff in there about, you know, people who cross borders, like the situation that we're dealing with here, immigrants and all of that, like the fear of an alien species taking your job and changing your way of life. Like there was a lot of that in there. And like, for the most part, I agree with those sentiments yeah. i think the issue is that like what you're comparing it to is ai you know it's not like so this this film has an issue that i think a movie like bones and all has where it's like the the story could be applicable to anyone because what the characters are feeling kind of resembles things like if you are a queer person or if you're struggling with addiction like those things can be translated to that movie however they are cannibals so it's like there's only so much sympathy that you can draw to people who are eating other people. Like you, you can't, you know, it's like, there's a limit. Like I can see where you're going, but I can't fully commit to it. Cause it's like, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about cannibals. That's the same thing that this is the same issue that I had with it. It's like, yes, I understand the themes. I agree with the themes, but we're talking about AI. How much sympathy am I supposed to give to technology? Like to something that, isn't real doesn't feel anything like i don't know i don't i can't really give anything to that because it's like it's it's nothing <laughs> like it really isn't anything and it's interesting because like one of my favorite movies is ex machina and it deals with the android but the thing with it is that like they're not trying to tell you to love this technology the android literally like straight up kills people like yeah she wants to get out of there and she does what she needs to do to get out of there. And like, that's a message I can kind of get on board with. I'm just like, yeah, sure. Like if I was in that situation, I'd probably do the same thing. 
But in this, it's like, no, we want you to sympathize with the fact that like this little girl is technology and you should just love her because she's cute. Don't think about the fact that she's AI. Just think about the fact that like, isn't it bad that like people are caging like young immigrants and think about that. Don't think about the fact that the, we're, what the, the vessel that we're telling you the story through is through artificial intelligence. Yeah. Like it's just. There are other movies to me that have dealt with this concept in such a much better way. Like one movie I think of as Chappie, we know with Dev, Dev Patel and um, I think um, Hugh Jackman where they're in Johannesburg, South Africa and there's a robot kind of same concept of that. Um, and also one of my favorite movies of all time with Haley Joel, Joel Osment. It's called Artificial Intelligence. It's got like Jude Law on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg movie, of course. And it just takes the idea of artificial intelligence and wraps it up in Pinocchio. Same same concepts, the the, 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 the interplay and social relationships, social dynamics of humanity and AI in both those movies are executed so much better than in this movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and that's the thing it's like if you're gonna do this story like just know that other people have done it already and done it better and especially like what you were saying during this time where there is so much tension around the idea of how ai is like infiltrating our lives it's like Mm, I don't know. Like, maybe if this came out a few years ago, or maybe if this came out, like, a few years past where we're at now, where we maybe kind of settled some of the bigger issues of it, this could have hit. But the fact that this movie came out during this time, during the strikes, where one of the biggest issues was how AI is going to be used in the industry, they couldn't even promote this film because of the strikes. Like, it just feels weird. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So especially now that I think about it, like the Wachowski sisters did this with the first Matrix movie as well. The Matrix overall is humanity's war against AI. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there are so many other movies that did this concept better. And like the hardest part for me about this movie also is in watching this movie, like how... Um, how the American military might and military industrial complex works is we always have to have an enemy. Top Gun Maverick, it's the Russians, even though they don't want to mention it. It's an unnamed, unknown enemy. We know it's the Russians because that's a damn Russian. If you know fighter jets, that's a Russian jet. In this movie, it's like Neo Hong Kong, Neo Asia. And Mm-hmm. The, of course, he's referencing Apocalypse Now, but, you know, in this political climate of people talking about issues with China, China's going to take over the country. You have a movie where, you know, American military is invading China and taking out androids that look like Asian people. Very much heavy, too heavy on the Apocalypse Now. Reminds me of, you know, the Vietnam War and all, the, all that stuff. It's kind of really heavy handed, which I didn't vibe with at all. You know, I find I found it very weird in the movie, and that's the part that reminded me of like the war on terror, like the U.S. invading Iraq. You know, oh, one country has an issue with AI, and basically the rest of the world has to fall in line. And there's really no backlash from you know that Asian country wherever they are, neo Asia, backlash against the American military complex 
doing co-op mission, covert missions, destroying like a giant flying spaceship battle station, dropping nukes from space, and everybody's just cool with that. Like, there's no nothing, you know. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that was one thing that I did know. I was like, so we've had like five or six scenes where whole countries just got nuked. Like, are we not going to talk about the fact that like <laughs> multiple countries and multiple cities are just blown to pieces? Like, um, and that's what I was wondering. I was like, how is this being received in America? Like they said, they sprinkle a little, oh, they're protesting at the very end of the movie. And I'm like... We've already had five or six scenes where entire countries were decimated. Like, what are y'all talking about? Like, I don't know. The solution to the issue of like, oh, well, um, uh, an AI dropped a bomb on LA. So, you know, we got to just decimate their entire continent. It's just like, okay. <laughs> like, I feel you. This happened in real life. Like, it's not coming from absolutely nowhere. It's mm-hmm. just the fact that it happened so many times and I was just like, so what are we going to do about this? I guess they had to just blow up the entire spaceship. And oh, that was another thing that got me so tight. I was actually really angry when I watched this part. There were editing choices that were made that I was just like, why? Yeah. Why? And also that it forces you to have to suspend your disbelief about time because someone will I remember that last sequence when they're trying to decimate the Battlestar ship. I forgot what it's called. Alpha or whatever. Not not Alpha. That's what it's called. Uh, Nomad. Whatever the sh- Nomad. Yeah. And they're on the plane, right? And then immediately they're inside of the building. And then immediately she's in the control room. And immediately, like, they're both at the little hatch place where they're about to jump into this little shuttle. And I'm like... 10 minutes. There's no way that you all can move around and do all of these things in the space of the time that we've been watching you on screen. Like that doesn't make any sense. Like you, I feel like you have to, if you're going to do something like that, then that needs to be a long scene. So we can see like, okay, it takes this amount of time to get from the space shuttle all the way to the control room you can't just be hopping back and forth from places like you're a freaking ninja or like a ghost or something. I just don't, I hate that. I really hate that. And I understand this is a sci-fi movie, but like you've been trying to ground it for this entire two hours. Also, why is this movie two hours and 15 minutes so freaking long? But like, if you're going to have it be that long, then use your time um, adequately, use your time efficiently. Like, don't just have characters jumping back and forth in a, in a situation where you know it would take that ship is huge like it would take so long especially for a little person with little legs like how how like it just doesn't it didn't make sense and it actually pissed me off and and the ending was quite it was somewhat predict it was almost very predictable in a way um mm-hmm. like once they the the military captured them from um from Tibet, the Himalayas, whatever, you know, and once he was like, oh, the, the robot will only allow you to kill it. I was like, oh, it's going to go right standby mode, like before, like, you know, and mm-hmm. and then that's the thing, the, the, and the spaceship scene is the worst one because, of course, they're focused on John David Washington's character. He's out there in the space, like trying to blow up, use, get, use one of the nukes to blow up the space station, and you're right, this is set in this like movie beats are different basically in the span of five minutes 10 minutes passes that's fine 
but you have it's a military station. Mil- troops are on there. And this little AI robot Kalu that they know is the main problem just runs unfettered through a military installation. No one shoots at him. Nothing. Zero. Mm-hmm. It is not until they realize, oh, he armed one of the nukes that everybody starts ejecting. So all of them damn millions of cor- corridors. Like this 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 kid then ran through. Nobody said, oh, shoot him. That's the target. None of that. Do you decide at the last minute, oh, we have controllable robots that we can control that we can use to kill the kid and kill John David Washington? We wait till the last minute before they eject into the skate pod to actually implement that plan. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, it just didn't make any sense. Like, and then the fact that she she gets shuttled off to like a different place and he is able to see Gemma Chan one more time. And I was just like, again, I, the thing, and the, that's the other thing. I was like, oh, man. His, John David Washington's entire purpose was like to be back with Maya, to be back with Gemma Chan. But the thing is, is like, we don't really see anything of their relationship. Like they keep doing like little flashbacks of them on the beach and them in the bed. The but typical it's like, romance flashbacks of the two couples. But in the it's bed. like, because my question was, I was like, why are you so pressed about this girl? Like, I don't know. I got so annoyed by that. But again, it's it's one of those things where a movie tells you to feel something without yeah. actually doing the legwork of developing it. And that's that was another issue I had. I was like, why is this relationship so important to you? And we only got like three minutes of them actually being a couple before yeah. everything went down in the we, beginning. So it's like, we see, we see them. We see the part where they're flirting in bed with her being pregnant. And then to me, that part was weird in the beginning of the movie. Cause that is the most where I noticed where John David sounds just like his father, Denzel, you know, when Denzel <laughs> puts on that suave, I'm a flirt with you voice. He mimicked his father tone for tone. But after that part, he became, he was more himself naturally. But, you know, we see that scene. Then we see the flashbacks of them at the beach. Like, oh, we're, we're, we're doing Ring Around the word Rosie on the beach. And I love you so much. And then the only other flashback is when he gets his robotic arm, they flirt. And then he keep, they always, then they always flashback to them, him seeing her at the bar. And that was it. Like, mm-hmm. that was it. And I feel like that's another thing. I feel like this is a waste of Gemma Jan's talents. Like to me, Hollywood, there are five, four Asian actors. I think Hollywood has done an incredible disservice to Gemma Chan is one of them. Like almost every other actor who did a major IP, like she's one of the few who came off the um, Eternals with nothing, mm-hmm. with nothing. Almost everybody in the cast of Eternals was doing other projects. You know, mm. nothing, nothing for her, and she's been acting forever you know her other co-stars who showed up in you know uh crazy rich asians um and particularly Constance Constance Wu after she spoke about issues in Hollywood nothing from her you know fucking um my boy um Henry Golden very few roles now the last movie I saw him was like a uh indie a bad indie movie with um what's her face uh Emma Clark from Game of Thrones wasn't that good a movie and then segment after somebody who didn't get cast or uh, Crazy Rich Asians um, Brenda Song because she was too American you know Hollywood is like 
done a disservice to four, all four of those people as far as that because they're amazing talents and they should be in more stuff you know but hey five minutes Gemma Chan in this movie great you know <laughs> yeah I also think that's probably down to like what they're getting attached to because yeah. the movies that some of the movies that they're in have not been received well so I think that I mean Crazy Rich Agents was received really well I think that whole issue with Constance was something that happened online and then she was like gone for five years or something like that. It was, it was totally messed up what happened, but I don't think anything, anything yeah. to do with like how getting cast. I think it was just like social media BS, but um, yeah, I feel like because the Eternals was received so poorly and it wasn't a good movie either. Like, yeah, it's kind of hard. I, it, I can see that like, if you're trying to like place this person who is one very beautiful like and talented like i could and then the, what they're coming off of isn't that great like i can i can see of it being an issue i feel like this movie was supposed to be like a summer blockbuster like a real like let's just say barbie and oppenheimer weren't involved in the picture and it was just like mission impossible and something else like I feel like this could have been a contender but again just this i feel like this film has been done so much better in other people's hands that when it comes here, it's just like, you know what you're getting, you know what to expect. Everything's pretty predictable. The characters aren't that layered and it's just kind of bloated. And it's trying to tell you to feel a whole bunch of things that you, I guess will agree with, I guess if you're a certain type of person who leans a certain type of way politically or whatever, but also just, they're trying to wrap it up in AI, which there's so much issues around that specific thing right now. So it's just a very weird, I don't know, soup of stuff. Like we don't, I, I don't know really what to feel about this. Like, is it bad? Sort of, but not really. Like, it's just, I'm kind of confused on how I feel about it yeah. overall. Like, <laughs> And I feel like this movie has the part of my issue with this movie is there a lot of beat for beat remnants of Rogue One in this movie. You know, mm. that last ending scene with him and the robot Jim, Jim and Chan remind me very much of the end of Rogue One and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I and feel, he directed that Rogue yeah, One. Yeah, he, right? he directed Rogue One. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I don't, this, this movie, I don't know. Like, <laughs> like, there's a movie there that I know I would like, but like, and the worst part is he goes, Oh yeah, I love you kid. I love you so much. Only after he finds out that, Oh, part of his real baby, like part of that embryo and that DNA was used to make this robot. So now he goes, Oh, I'm a father. And I love this baby, this child who I basically just met and who is a weird Portmandu or whatever reference to my hatred against robots, but is now my child, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it was a very much, a very rushed character change, you know, in his relationship with AI. Considering, you know, Ken Watanabe's character, he's had a close rapport with him. You know, it's clear that he grew, like, in being undercover, he grew close to him. But he still is like, I'm undercover only, fuck AI. Unlike his partner who ends up falling in love with a robot you know, who he has a relationship with. Like, this felt like a rushed conclusion to another better AI movie, I Am Robot. 
I Robot with Will Smith, where you see through the movie, Will Smith's character progresses through working with Sonny, goes to have an appreciation and gets over his hate of AI. You know, John David, John David Washington, his character only overcomes his hate of AI in the last, a very rushed third act. Like, oh, this is my child. I love him now. And I like AI. You know. I kind of thought that they were building into it. I don't think it came out of nowhere for me. That's not how I read it. I kind of read it's it. It's not that like, it came out of nowhere. It was it was executed poorly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was fine because like there are multiple scenes where he is like putting his life on the on the line, not only for her but also for other people who are also AI, like Ken Watanabe and. Folks like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I got it. That wasn't really my issue with his character. I kind of found his character to be, to be a little cornball. Like, he was just a little too cheesy for my liking with the little, with his rapport with her, but also just, like, he's like, oh, I'm too old for this. Like, I just, like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And it's like... I, Again, you know what it is about this film? I feel like I would have really liked it if it came out years ago. Like, if I watched this in, like, 2012, when I was, like, 16, I would be like, this movie's incredible. Like, <laughs> this is a great film. If if this came out, like, directly after Tenet, but before Matrix uh, Revelations, probably. Perf- mm-hmm. Perfect spot. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our issues with AI aren't as prominent. You know, he's coming off of Tenet, which everybody loves, you know. And I hated the action scenes in this movie because it seems like every shootout John David Washington got into, he would just pull a James Bond lying on my back shoot. You know, mm. every it's like the it's like it's the worst ass pull ever shootout move. Like every shootout he's in, he winds up on his back shooting up at somebody. Every shootout, mm. and yeah, yeah. I feel like they didn't actually give him much to do in terms of like work i feel like he did like a lot of stunt stuff but yeah. like in terms of like actual action i kind of wanted more from him because i know what he's able to do so i was just like yeah this movie kind of just it kind of fails on most fronts like <laughs> i was just not it's, like i can't say that i had a miserable time watching it because i didn't didn't yeah i i had i i had a decent time watching it I just noticed all of the glaring issues very um, succinctly. Like, I just noticed everything that I didn't like about it. But overall, I was like, well, you know, this looks really good. <laughs> and maybe that was... I mean, Hans Zimmer did the score. I wouldn't even know because I the score wasn't as as impactful to me as his scores usually are. So I was just like, yeah, I just feel like this film is lacking. Like, it's just not... It's not giving what it could. Look, knowing its references, like I referenced this movie, draws a lot from Apocalypse Now and Baraka. Baraka is kind of like a documentary style film, which like goes on exact lookouts. One of my favorite movies. I watched it in college and I was like, yo, this movie's my shit. But also he drew from like Blade Runner and Akita, which do a much better job with this story. Like you're ref- you, you're drawing inspiration from Blade Runner. Both movies deal with the idea of guys who don't know that they're probably robots and they're shooting other robots. Like, there's so much uh, interpersonal ambiguity in that story that is not there. You know, we reference Akita, which is one of the most greatest, one of the most popular sci-fi animated films ever. Uh, you know, dealing with the 
the topics of human experimentation and, and robotics and stuff kind of thing, almost kind of like uh, Cyberpunk, uh, Edge Runners did mm. to that degree. You use those two movies and say they're your inspiration, inspiration, and you come out with something like this. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like this was like a great value, like War of the World, yeah, and like Prometheus, <laughs> not Prometheus. That's more. That's more like Alien, Alien, but like. It was giving like, it was giving great value. All of those films. It's it's a, a like discount. <laughs> like, and the whole relationship between him and the child is like a another Star Wars reference, a shittier version of the Mandalorian, lone wolf and cub type of story. Like, there's so many other better versions of this much. movie. That's the problem. Like, he's it's like, he's like, I'm taking concepts from all these other movies. I'm going to put them together and in their shit like you know it's uh yeah yeah and i feel like you can you like you having references from other films are fine like i think barbie does that really well where they have a lot of good references that sets tone but they're not replicating those movies yeah you know so i just feel like that's the mistake i feel like he was like i'm about to make the next blade runner like i'm about to make the next apocalypse now and then instead of like just being like okay i'll use those inspirations for setting the tone of the world he was like i'm just gonna make another one but it's gonna be called the creator (laughs) and it's like you can't do that like (laughs) we have already seen it so many times you can't it's just not gonna work baby like i'm sorry and this this movie had what a budget of this budget had an 80 million budget and that's not including marketing and stuff of like that because I think the marketing budget increased because I know the last couple of weeks with the NFL they were having um actors. I don't know if they were if they were actors or not. Just people standing around these arenas dressed up like they were the um the the the, the stimulants they cost they call the robots in this movie dressed oh. up like them a couple locations you know with shirts on. So the budget for marketing probably is beyond that probably this movie cost probably cost close to like 10 million but it's obvious in watching this movie this movie is not going to make back its budget so far it's only made about uh 32 million me included in that 32 and i want my five dollars back from amc but you know yeah it's not going to make back its budget sorry or if it does it'll, it'll it'll barely get it i think you know yeah well i enjoyed seeing alice and janney and that was she it. surprised me. I was like that. I was like that face is familiar, and I know who that is. I can't pinpoint it. And I was like, after I watched her, I was like, oh, it's Alan, Allison Janney. Like she was in a role that I did not. I'm not familiar seeing her in. So that's why that's a good thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. the queen, Allison yeah. Janney. Oh, I'm so obsessed with her. But anyway, yeah. do I recommend people go see this? Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, look, I went to go see this on a nice afternoon. It was like one o'clock. I'm driving in my cars. It's it's a nice day. It's if you ain't got nothing to do, it is a nice day. You know, take a dr- enjoy your drive yeah. to your AMC theater and then drive past it and do something else. Um, yeah. So, but if it's hot and you know the AMC's by you and you got like, I wouldn't say see full price. Go see it on a, a matinee if you have nothing to do early in the morning. Or find a cheaper movie theater by you and don't pay the the, the twenty dollars it probably costs to actually sell this movie full price. You know, see that in a, a matinee early in the morning and then go do some other shit to wipe the taste of this movie out of your mouth. But yeah. 
um moving on from that of course it's the biggest 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 news um we spoke last week about the writers um you know reaching agreements with um the amtp you know they just sent out um the report they sent out their emails to everybody telling them to vote for it but now sag afro and the studio ceos are starting talks today um with the key issue of revenue sharing being the most contentious point um so a guild member said let's be cautious there's some serious what you see here wait and see what they bring bring news to the table and what they're willing to reconsider Wait and see if they have really changed their tune or if it's the old AMTP back in the room. Um, this is a reference to like the last time they met, like every single offer the SAC ever put forward, AMT was like, no, we're not for it. Um, and of course, you know, just like the, the movie, like the main issue of this movie is the use of AI and um uh uh basically also taking um actors like images and like this and using it in movies and you know we've seen a couple times of referencing Star Wars once again was multiple Star Wars movies taking older actors and actors that have passed and putting them in their current movies and stuff like that um and the revenue sharing issue like we've mentioned before I think I did the math on it on how much the studio actually makes and the 1% that all these unions actually want from AMTP does not even put a blip in their budget so we'll see how that goes forward uh, for the rest of the week as they go over that. Yeah. And actually in breaking news, they wrapped their full day of talks and they're going to resume negotiating on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So that's a little tidbit on to, uh, Oh yeah. But a part of this news, I just want to say that I know that there's a, there's a cautiousness to how the actors are feeling and I understand that. I also kind of hope that things do move quickly because even though the issues aren't exactly the same, there are a lot of similarities. And I feel like it would be horrible for like things to have aggressed the way they have for the writers and then for things to just fall apart for the actors. I think that would really suck. Um, but I don't think it will, but I don't know. For me, it, this should be wrapped up by this week, but that's me. That's not actually what's yeah. going to happen in those negotiations. For me, in my fantasy world, this is done by Friday. But I understand that that's probably not going to happen. So yeah. just hope everything goes well over there. I, I, I probably don't see this getting done. Probably closer to it more about the new year. Um, Probably. Nah, I should mean, not take I mean, I mean when I say, year. I mean, probably like this whole month, they're probably going to take a lot of time to talk. So probably around November, December, I do think we're going to see an agreement put together um it's important that they get this done especially like i think they're happy that they got it done with the writers because i know in june uh, 2024 the animation guild their contract is up so once again that's another issue that animators also have issues with ai we've seen people voice their opinions with um the cgi intro to secret wars how they just used like hey this is a cool technology let's just use it like things like that these conversations are going to continue um, you know, into the next year when those negotiations comes up. So, yeah. I don't think it'll take that long because I feel like a lot of issues have already been hammered out with the writers, but I do think that the CEOs of these studios are very hurt that the that the actors actually strike, like started striking because mm-hmm. I think that the common um, understanding throughout the entire industry was that like 
the actors are never going to strike. Yeah. So the fact that they did, I think, probably <laughs> hurt their feelings a bit, which is why it's taken a long time for them to come back and start talking. But, like, girl, I know y'all, your pockets are hurting. Like, just get it done. But... Yeah. I think they thought this was going to be just like a director's deal, which, you know, I've mentioned before, like, there are some directors who have yeah. mentioned, like, the deal that they took from the AMTP was a shit deal. Um, so, and those directors are probably going to want to try and annul and change that <laughs> agreement down the road. But yeah, I'm happy that things are wrapping up. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, in other news, Helen Mirren rails against authoritarians telling writers they can only tell stories about their race, their own race or religion. So Helen Mirren thinks it's ridiculous that writers are being told to stay in their lanes. The Oscar-winning actress has railed against the idea that writers can only tell stories about their own race or religion after the so-called Jew-faced row-row over her new movie, Golda. Um, it's more frightening for a writer to be told that they are not allowed to write about subjects with which they don't have an immediate DNA connection, Marin told the Radio Times. I imagine it must be very alarming and ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, a writer on the Golden movie, Nicholas Martin, said that there is, creepy, that there is a creepy authoritarianism in the entertainment industry, leading to writers being told that they cannot do this or that. He also said to the Radio Times. Am I supposed to just write about middle-aged men living in South London? End quote. So, yeah. I mean, I think I think her issue stems... I think I've heard less concerns about her paying um, former Israeli Prime Minister Goldemir. I think this part, mm-hmm. probably most of this also stems from um, Bradley Cooper. Um, his movie where... He, I've, I'm sorry if I forget the name of the movie and the person he's playing, but he is playing a former Jewish um celebrity. And oh, Ma- issue- Maestro. Maestro, yeah. yeah Maestro. Burn- Maestro, he's playing Leonard Bernstein. Yeah, he playing. Yeah, and the issue with that was, um, the prosthetic nose that he's wearing to, you know, accentuate quote unquote those Jew face esque features. I I think her interpretation of people's concerns she's this is one of those old people things where they don't actually listen they get mad without actually listening i i do think the issue isn't not that people from other races writing the stories i think it's an issue when people from other races write stories and don't have a clear understanding of it like we've seen in hollywood plenty of times where white writers write black characters and it almost comes off as a parody and and that's the concern from people of diverse cultures i do not want to seem like a parody or a character of my culture you know if you're gonna write these stories with you know people from diverse backgrounds experience i do think it's appropriate to have some first-hand knowledge and experience about about these things like i'm not gonna write a story about roman catholics i have i don't know anything about roman catholics i have no idea you know those those idiosyncrasies within the, the culture i can write about Aventus. i know idiosyncrasies about the Aventus, but only from a west indian point of view there are other fine point details and i think if you're gonna write movies like this you should at least have people from those experiences in the writer's room to actually make it more authentic yeah like, on the whole, I don't really disagree with what she's saying. No. I mean, the authoritarian thing is a little much. Like, that's very exaggerated, girly. But um, 
I think that I feel like telling people, well, you can't write about this is actually really limiting. And I feel like if you do the legwork and you do the research and you have people who are a part of that community involved in what you're writing, then I think that you can tell the story. It's just how you go about it. It's not, if you think that you're the authority on the subject and that's not your lived experience, yeah, it's not going to be good. But I feel like if you do something like what Martin Scorsese has done with Killers of the Flower Moon, where the Native American community is very involved in that movie, like extremely involved. So they had multiple meetings over months where they talked about the story, the history of what actually happened. They crafted the script according to those meetings and their findings through that, along with the book. Like that is how you can write a story that isn't your lived experience because you're a white Italian man. You're not a Native American <laughs> person. Like, there's a way to do it where it's right. Yeah. And I haven't seen the movie yet, but from what I can tell from the interviews and the press around it, it seems like they were very involved. The Native, commu- the Native American community were very involved in this film. Um, but you can also have things where this isn't race or um, religion, but it's... Uh, gender where the worst woman in the world the worst person in the world written by a man starring a woman and somehow was incredibly relatable to women yeah. like so it's not like you can't do it again it's just how you do it and i've seen gold i've seen the movie and i think that they were as respectful as they could be like i don't think that there was anything in that that screams like this is inappropriate this is over the line or you don't know what you're talking about like that's not how it read to me. Um, obviously, I'm not a part of the Jewish community, so I can't, <laughs> I can't like fully speak to this. But I'm just saying, like, even with the makeup and the prosthetics and stuff, like it, it, it didn't. It, from my point of view, it didn't seem like it was coming from a disrespectful place at all. Like, I feel like people were mad because, like, they were like, "Oh, Helen Mirren isn't Jewish. Why is she playing this role?" Yeah. But what she did to get into the role was just trying to get the accuracy of what this woman actually looks like because she is a real life woman. Um, so I don't, you know, it's like, it's interesting. Cause I'm thinking about like other historical movies. Like it's, it's is, like, was, was Liam Neeson German? No, I think he's an Irish person, but he still ended up playing Schindler. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying like, I think we're completing two different things. Yeah. Do the, do the, do the, do the, do the due diligence. It's like yeah. my example for it is even though they're the same cultural somewhat, Jennifer Lopez is Puerto Rican. Jennifer Lopez being in her career played Selena. Selena's a Mexican. Mexican. She, to get ready for the role, she spent like months with Selena's family getting close to them, mm-hmm. getting stories, familiarize herself. Like, cause even though Jennifer Lopez is Latino and she's Spanish, she knows she's that was not her her particular culture. Puerto Rican culture and Mexican Hispanic culture is two different things. So she said, "No, what? Even as a young actress, I'm going to spend time with the family and get to know their experience. Like the issue is if you do the due diligence to put the work behind it, nobody has an issue. Now, if you, if you pop up out of nowhere, all uh, you know, there's a difference. Like you're fucking Robert Downey Jr. Backface in Tropic Thunder. His was done for jokes, but if you're doing it in a serious movie, then it becomes an issue. So yeah, that, that's all it yeah, is. Yeah. And I, I, and I guess, yeah, because that's what they're talking They're talking about the writing of it in this situation, but they're also, like, adding in the, like, oh, shit, certain people play certain roles. And I feel like that's a different thing yeah. a little bit because 
I don't know if you remember that quote that Scarlett Johansson gave when she was like, I can play anything. Like I, if I want to play a tree, if I want to play what, you know, she's yeah. being annoying, but like, if, if Scarlett Johansson had the audacity to try to play Rosa Parks, we would all be angry because it's like, what the hell are you doing? You know what I'm saying? So it's like, yes, not everyone can play every role. I agree with that. I don't think that white people can be putting on blackface and doing black roles. I just don't think that makes sense. Like you have black actors, so you don't need to do that. And I guess you can say the same thing for these roles. Like, did we need Bradley Cooper playing Leonard Bernstein? No, you could have got a Jewish actor to play that. True, you could have. Um, he could have just directed it and wrote it, and it probably still would have been great. He probably also um, could have do it without the prosthetic. Yeah, you know, the, and the thing is, like, Leonard Bernstein's family was like, we are fine with this. Yeah. <laughs> we have no issue with and him doing this. And that's also the key of it. If the family's okay with it, at that point, the issue's over. Yeah, I just feel like there are certain things that I think audiences and people today are very testy like and there's this push towards representation where it's like if you are not this exact thing then we don't want it but i don't i think in some cases that fits and in other cases it doesn't so i think instead of just kind of painting with a broad brush we should be a little bit more specific to each situation instead of just being like well you know if if you are a white person who is not of Jewish heritage, then you don't get to play Jewish people. I just think that that, yeah, I feel like we have to calibrate and think about things a little bit more nuanced. And if the situation calls for you to be angry, then be angry. But if it doesn't, then just calm down. But you know, it's the internet. So (laughs) it's going to do what it's going to do. There is no such thing as nuanced internet. Um, but in bigger, more fantastical news, like I'm excited about this, you know, cause you know, my sister wouldn't let me join her on the trip, you know, go see Beyonce mm-hmm. in person. Siblings are so horrible, but I get to go see Beyonce now at a reduced rate. Yay. <laughs> so Beyonce just dropped her trailer for her Renaissance concert films. Pre-sales have opened up, um, for, um, December release. Uh, this, I don't know, people are bringing this up. I don't know if how accurate it is. I know people are kind of saying she's kind of might be copying Taylor Swift. I know Taylor Swift does have their, her movie, her concert movie in theaters right now. And, you know, mm-hmm. whenever you're talking about these two icons and women and celebrity, they always put, uh, Taylor Swift, Beyonce to butt heads, but I'm looking forward to it. I get to pay $28 and see Beyonce. You know, in theater, it's not it's not in person, but you know, I can still vibe out and enjoy the concert. You know, but hey, yeah, I. It's funny that there was like a whole bunch of news, but like, oh, she might do it. She might actually put the tour out on in theaters, and then it happened. And I was like, oh, look at that. Um, am I going to watch it? You are. Maybe. The thing is, is that like her that multiple people at her shows have already recorded the entire show. So that's how I watched it. I've already seen Renaissance Store because I've been watching it from other people's point of view because other people have like filmed the entire thing. And like the backstage footage of like her and the kids, like, mm, am I like that pressed to watch that? Like, I don't know yet. I think about it. 
Also, like, I feel like every single ticket is going to be sold out. <laughs> so I'm just like, mm. <laughs> it might not be, though. We'll see. Yeah. I, I'll yeah. think about it. Maybe I'll think about it. I'm looking forward but to I, it. But I am excited. Yeah. I'm excited about this. I hate the comparisons between her and Taylor Swift because, to me, they're not even in the same category. Um, but <laughs> that's just my bias. Let's not but like each other as well. Yeah. And also, like, they're friends. So, like, it's not... <laughs> There is nothing there. I just feel like I like the idea of having your concert tour be in theaters. I feel like that used to happen back in the day. Like people used to put their whole bunch of stuff in theaters. Um, and that's kind of not been a thing that recent recently. Mm-hmm. And there have been concert tours. Like I've seen, I haven't watched them in theaters, but I know that there have been like concert tours that have been put on at made, made us films. I just, yeah. I just don't, I don't know if, I think I'll probably go see it, but like. You're, you're seeing it because you're, you're saying that like we didn't sit there at work and we should be wor- working watching Homecoming. But it was on Netflix. So. <laughs> this is true. This is true. <laughs> but yeah. And I already, and I don't even, never mind. Let me shut up. <laughs> I'm about to say something crazy. <laughs> <It's> like, mm. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, no. And I loved Homecoming. That was an amazing experience. And honestly, whoever edits her stuff knows what they're doing perfect so you know what i probably will go see it just because of that because i'm like oh yeah i remember how tight the editing was and how good that show was just in terms of like how they combined both weekends i was like the the only thing i'm regretting not being able to witness with this mm-hmm. is the most outstanding thing for me in watching like following her tour on social media mm-hmm. like either you see clips of um i don't know the song but when when she makes the crowd go quiet and you see a natural progression of the blacker the, the venues get, the more quieter the audience gets. I but heard about that, yeah. I loved watching Blue Ivy evolve and get comfortable on stage on Twitter. Like, watching her f- first performance when they were in Europe all the way to the most mm-hmm. recent one that was in, um, in, um, was in, in, not Seattle, in, um... In Canada, right? No. Dang it. Uh, Kansas City because of their schedule. So Kansas City ended up being the oh. last tour. Like from the first one to the last one, and watching that child become so like comfortable and confident on stage is something like so amazing to watch. Like so, I understand. Like I can un- I can see how parents kind of get so impressed as their ch- the children as they mature and become more comfortable. But to see it in real time with Blue Ivy was like amazing. Like she's stumbling in the beginning with the choreography. And in the end, she's like, I'm in it. And she starts meeting me again, and she's feeling it. And I was like, yes. Like, I mm-hmm. loved watching that. Yeah. Imagine having Beyonce and Jay-Z as your parents. Like, that... Let's not bring up the Jay-Z <laughs> side. Let's not... Let's let's focus on the Beyonce side, because Jay-Z was saying some kind of stupid stuff today on the internet. So, we're not going... Oh, he was? Yeah. He's oh, talking about, about he's talking about, you know, Jay-Z and Beyonce worth like $2.2 billion. And he was talking about, you know, greed and family members. And he brought up, like, I think a family member saying he wanted to borrow um, $4,000. And, and he said, you know, let me borrow 4000 And if I have a business idea, and you make maybe you can make $2 million. And Jay's just like, yeah, it don't work like that. Like, no, that's kind of like, if I got the money and my parent family needs help, I'm help them. So we're going to focus on Beyonce and Beyonce only. <laughs> okay, this was this was news to me. Did that? Um, I was just saying. Imagine having like those people as your parents. Like you're gonna be a force. Like you're just gonna be incredible. Yeah, 
And she is. Yeah. Like she's already a Grammy winner. Like yeah. what? <laughs> what is happening? Anyways. Yeah. That's it. Good news. <laughs> so, ma'am, what did you watch this week or last weekend? Um, I watched Only Murders in the Building. Well, I'm still watching it. I'm watching with my best what, friend. Season three? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's dragged a lot. But when I tell you that, because Meryl Streep is in this. Mm-hmm. When I tell you that this last episode I just watched, Meryl Streep completely lifted that thing from the ground up. Like, I'm sorry, but like, no one's doing what she is able to do. Like, no one can come close to her. Like, I, and I, there are amazing actresses who I love and adore. No one can touch this woman. Like, she's on another level. Like, I don't understand. Like, has. How do you like because she's not in every episode? Mm-hmm. So, like when she shows up, like it's ends up being one of the best episodes of the entire season. And then like everything that she gives, like every little micro expression on her face, the inflections in her voice, just the way that she does everything, it's just like no one can touch her. Like she's on again. Yeah, I'm in awe of her because like I like what she does television because. It's just nice to see her in like an ensemble of different actors who are really good. Um, I don't know. Selena Gomez is <laughs> whatever. But her and Martin Short, dynamic duo, but also just anytime she's on screen doing anything, like I I'm in awe. Like she is she is carrying her and Martin Short carrying this entire season on their backs. Like it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I heard. Like I think Honestly, looking back at the show, it probably should have only been like a one season show. But the issue is, it once that's the American like TV landscape. Oh, the show's a hit. You got to crank out more seasons of it, and you begin to get dimin- diminishing returns. Um, so I'm watching um Interview with a Vampire on um on AMC on the stars. Actually, oh. I'm not watching on stars. I'm watching on HBO Max or the Max. You know. Um, I'm in. Okay. I'm enjoying it. Um, uh, it's a more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? I know there's a movie before Tom Cruise. Um, Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt, movie. and it came out in like '97. If I'm familiar, if I remember correctly, good movie. But I do think this. Uh, this is a more accurate take on the actual book. Um, very graphic, very high detailed. Um, it covers more of a. It, uh, because the cast is now biracial, it's a black man and um, a white a white man. You know, two main fighting powers. It does hint upon the uh, the racial issues, and it, I think this move this uh, version of it does a lot more to highlight the the homosexual relationship um, those two had more so than the movie did. The movie kind of just covers it, and they kind of throw in oh here's little um what's her name? What's dang it? Uh, Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, they kind of throw Kirsten Dunst here, like to this jacket, like oh, one of them actually likes Kirsten Dunst in a way, but this this one more focuses on the the back and forth between the the two males, which I which I enjoy, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first one, the movie is kind of queer baity a little bit. Yeah, like it's all like it's like all the elements are there, but we're just gonna give a wink to yeah. it. We're not gonna. This one says. This it. one says. Yeah, this is. It's very like he even mentions like I was. I was not into men at the time, but that was kind of his sexual awakening and stuff like that. But yeah, it's. It's. I'm enjoying it. 
I'm, I'm enjoying it. Like this, this, this cast and this project, you know, of course, you know, Grey Worm, um, uh, Jacob Anderson is in it. Like he's one of those actors I think who should be given more, more work. An amazing talent, you know. I agree. He's really talented. Yeah. Um, okay. That is it from us this week. We hope you're taking care of yourselves and doing well. Make sure to check out all of our social media. Support us if you can. And we will see you guys in the next episode. Goodbye. Au revoir.